want to invite you into this passage from the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul is writing to a young church that he helped to start, and he's trying to help them both understand what it is that they believe as well as kind of prioritize what is most important in the life of the family of God. And so in this passage, we're going to sort of take a look at this idea uh, of, well, a few ideas actually. But what I really want you to see is the way in which the Apostle Paul is sort of pushing God's people towards what is right and good and holy and pure as he sort of exhorts this young, chor- young church toward these truths, toward these values, I want you to s- sort of get a feel for the healthy, holy push that Paul is giving to this church. And that's what I want to kind of talk about uh, today. So if you want to read along with me in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, it'll be on, in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. In the ESV, if you want a different translation, there's one in the Bible in the chair in front of you probably. And uh, feel free to follow along. And we'll uh, take a look at this, um, the way in which God pushes his people uh, towards what is good and right. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to be to the one hope That belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every kind of doctrine, I'm sorry, every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, 
makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. You know, um, Kathy and I have been, I guess, in San Antonio for coming up on 15 years. We moved here uh, in 1999 for the purpose of following God into this. We had no idea what shape it would take and what, what, what it would be like, but um, we prayed and we, we, we went for it, I guess you could say. And... Uh, in the course of that journey, there have been uh, many ups and downs, and that's okay, right? It's, you take the good with the bad, or you take the bad with the good, or how are you supposed to say that? Um, and it's been, it's been, so far, an awesome journey, mainly because of two things. The, the the presence of God in the midst of all of this, you know, whatever that is and however that takes shape, um, that is awesome. And the other side of that is you and the people we have come to know and love and, uh, well, know and love, right? Through this time that we've been here. And in the midst of, of all of that, I, you know, I have to say um, probably one of, the, one of the major high points is you're sitting in it, right? Um, I think we got to a point uh, several years ago, actually, where um, you know, it was time to get out of the middle school. And before we could really get, or before I could really get those ducks in a row, uh, the bottom of the economy fell out in 2008. And we all remember what a terrible end of the year that was. Um, I went to a pastor's conference, I think in 2009, and uh, the guy who was leading it, this guy named Bill Hybels, he's out of Chicago, and he put this uh, chart on the wall of the kinds of waves that uh, sailors and ships can expect to encounter. And when you see these kinds of reports coming from the seas that you're going to be traveling in, it, it helps you adjust and chart your course and make your plan. And he talked about the, you know, the different preparations you have to make for different types of seas, different levels of waves. And he said there's, uh, there's one wave that you can never prepare for. He says, if you have a truly seaworthy vessel, you can prepare for the whole spectrum of ocean waves until you get to what's called the rogue wave. And if you've seen the, the Perfect Storm, that movie, that's, a, that's sort of a movie about a rogue wave. There's, there's just no way uh, to prepare for it. There's no way to go around it. Uh, if it. If it comes, you just pray. That's your best bet. And, you know, the, the pastor basically looked at this conference full of pastors, and he said, 
you did it. We're all like, what? Because you, if you're here, it, it means that you survived the rogue wave. And you probably all did it in very different ways. And he gave some statistics of the number of churches that shut their doors in 2009. Um, and it was astonishing. It was astounding. Um, but, you know, he sort of stopped and said, congratulations. You know, you made it. You survived. And that was, that was sort of the theme of 2009. Just hold on for dear life. Um, you know, I think there was, when we finally got the push to land here, uh, there was great excitement, right? We, you know, we finally, we've made it, we've, we've overcome, we've got a building. Uh, and I think there was a certain amount of expectation that we would just automatically start growing. And we didn't. We're not hemorrhaging people, but we're not really growing as, as we would have hoped, I don't think. And, and that sort of causes its own uh, series of, of introspection and questioning and evaluation, uh, some of which is healthy and some of which I can assure you is not healthy. Uh, but that's what we do. Right? We, we, we try to figure out what's wrong. And as I have been exploring that question or those questions, depending on how you want to look at it, here's what I want to say. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with you. Uh, there might be a few things wrong with me, but we'll, we'll fix those some other time. Um, there's nothing wrong with this church. The two things that have been the greatest source of blessing from the very beginning, the, the presence of God and the presence of you, are still here. And that's a good thing. And it's worth celebrating. It's worth appreciating. Um, but in the midst of those questions, of that evaluation, here's, here's what I've come to. That in a, in a healthy way, what I hope is a healthy way, it's my job, my calling to push, to push all of us toward what is good, what is right, what is holy, what is healthy. And so I want to take a look at this passage through that lens, this, this push that the Apostle Paul is giving to this little church in Ephesus. Um, what does that look like? How does it work? What are we, what are we in for, right? And I don't, I, I want to be clear, I don't think my calling is to be pushy, 
And those of you who know me are not very worried about that, right? Um, okay. So what is this push? And if the theme for 2009 was just hold on for dear life, what is our theme for 2014? And I, I'm going to say it's, it's push, to, to push all of us towards what is holy, good, right, and healthy. Um, I, I want to push you as a people to better connect. I want to push all of us to better care for each other. I want to push all of us to better cultivate our faith in Christ. That's the push that I'm talking about. Let's take a look at the things that Paul emphasizes in his push to this little church uh, in the middle of nowhere. The first thing you see as you open up this passage is the push toward unity. The push to unity. And, and I say that, I want, I want you to look at that as a verb. That's your push and my push. It's our collective thing to push, to push this church toward into deeper unity. What does that look like? Um, if you take those first three verses, the last word in verse three is sort of the first point that Paul is making in that text. He sort of brings those first three verses down to one word. Do you see it? Peace. And Paul says that we are to push towards peace. That's the opposite of striving. It's the opposite of conflict. It's the opposite of, of tension. It's peace towards which we are to push. That begins, the Apostle Paul says, it starts with humility. Um, being born in Texas, I have a hard time just pronouncing the word humility, right? Um, it's, this is not that which comes natively to Tom. I don't know, maybe, maybe you, Smitty. Yeah, you love to tell people how humble you are. Yeah, that's right. Um, you, you know, it's, it's almost ironic that God calls these things out of us. I mean, us? Really? Uh, do you know me? And God wants me to be humble. He wants me to manifest humility and to push that into the fabric of who we are. That's funny, I think, right? Or ironic or something. Um, tragic, I don't know. Call it what you will. <sighs> certainly contradictory but this push towards unity towards peace begins with our humility we have to be able to get past ourselves if we're going to be unified as the body of Christ it has to be greater than us but unfortunately Paul doesn't just stop with the impossible he, he piles on, like I want to throw a flag on this one, right? That's excessive use of godliness or something. Um, it starts with humility, but we're 
to that, we are to add gentleness, patience, love, and zeal for unity. Zeal for unity. Be eager, he says, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Um, that's just not cool. Like, if he'd just given me humility, maybe I could have made a little to-do list, you know, Tuesday, 3 o'clock, be more humble, right? But gentleness, patience, love, oh, and now that my spirit is broken, he wants me to be zealous, right? Now that I realize uh, this is not coming from me. Um... So, okay, we all have these, uh, I, I think I left mine in the car, but these little rectangular things that buzz and ring and um, they, they, they're like, you know, I think there's more uh, computing ability in my, in my phone than there was on the first space mission, right? And uh, I don't really need all of that, but I carry it with me everywhere I go. And I'm kind of weird. I don't, uh, you know, I don't like, I don't like a lot of what what are called push notifications. Are you familiar with this concept, right? And so if you don't configure your phone right, it's just a constant flood of data junk that you don't need. Like I don't need to know that someone on Facebook just washed their cat, all right? I don't need to have this come to my phone and alert me. I don't need it. So Facebook is completely shut off of push notifications on my device, as are just about every other. I I looked this morning. I actually had more uh, set up for push notifications than I realized. These are sneaky, insidious little app developers that are out there, I'm telling you. And, and they, they, like, slide in the back way and get you to, like, give them all your data and whatever. Anyway, there's push notifications. And then the other side of that is, is what we pull to our device. So, so I'll give you an example. I originally set up my uh, device. It's like, oh, this is great. I, I've got email on this thing. This is cool. And I've set it up so that, you know, and... I'm trying to have lunch with somebody, and they're crying, and my phone's just going, you know, it doesn't work very well for that pastoral connection with a person when they're in tears and your phone is blowing up. And most of them are, you know, like Best Buy's having a sale, uh, whatever, okay? But Okay, so there's, there's, the, there's, the, there's what's pushed to us, and then there's what we pull down for ourselves. And I'm not entirely sure uh, how to work the metaphor, but I'm pretty sure it fits, so we'll go with it. But there's that which is to push us toward peace, that humility, gentleness, patience, love, and zeal for unity. And then there's the pull. We want to actively pull from one source. We want to pull down into our souls 
from one place that which is of value to us. And so, in, in that vein, Paul says that we are to focus on what we have in common. Why on earth does Paul unroll this one, 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 one? Did you catch that when we were reading it? I mean, this is, this is uh, rhetorical machine gun fire, right? And, and what Paul is saying is if, if we don't stop and ground ourselves in who Christ is, in the one faith, the one hope, the one love of our one calling in him, then we will all be in discord all the time. We will all have different agendas, different opinions, different personalities, different whatever. And they'll all be competing for each other because we all want me to win. And I mean that in parentheses, not the actual me. Nobody wants me to win, right? Yeah, that would be bad. Um, But we are to focus on what we have in common. One body, one spirit, one hope, one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. Um, (laughs) So, in the push toward unity, I, I snuck in here yesterday after we broke down the whole stinking holy family and shoved them in a storage closet. Um, I snuck back in here at, at someone else's recommendation and I, I sort of took a look at our uh, space. And this, this is going to sound slightly cheesy, maybe, I don't know, but, it, but it's just one small example. We took out the back rows of chairs We took out a few other chairs towards the back to try and bring us all a little bit closer together. Do you feel a little closer together today? I mean, I I can see it. You're not as spread out as you were. No one ever sits on the front row. Go ahead. (laughs) Try me. Yeah. Well, if you take this one out, then nobody sits where Bay is, right? Because that's then the front row. Everybody's, you know, they don't want to get, like, spit on or something. I don't know what the fear is. Um... But I've cleared out a pretty good, you know, splash zone out here. I think think we're okay. Um, But what can we do as a body to sort of push ourselves closer together? What can we do? And that's one of the questions we'll be asking at our leadership team meeting today. What can we do to push this that we are then pulling from that one source, that source of oneness that gives us unity. Um, We want to pull by focusing on on what we have in common and by coming under one authority, that being Christ. And I I love the way Paul uh, concludes that few verses there in verse 6. this is about him. This is about God. It's about his will. It's about his love. It's about his kingdom. It's about his grace. 
That's why we are here. There's one reason we're here, and it's him. So that's part of the push, the push toward unity. And unfortunately, Paul doesn't stop there. He keeps going. He tells me not only do I have to get past myself and cultivate unity in the body of Christ, he says, I I need to push toward maturity. I need to grow up. Um, So Paul talks about this gift Grace, verse 7, was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he quotes one of the Psalms, says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. This gift, we are to open this gift. This all begins with the gift of God in Jesus Christ. The easiest word for it is grace. This is at the heart of our calling to grow in this grace, to deepen our roots in the soil of grace, and to produce the fruit of grace in the world. We're to open this gift, and we are to share it. Um, You know, I, I like, uh, I try to, you know, work on my outline throughout the week, you know, look at the passage, pray about it, write down some notes. Um, and then when I'm kind of either at a point where I'm stuck or I'm just about done, I'll go read uh, a, a guy that I happen to, to be kind of fond of theologically. His name was John Calvin. And, uh, Calvin makes a great point here that I completely missed. You'll be glad to know. Your astute, observant pastor completely missed this point. But Calvin says this, this verse 7, where he gives this gift according to the measure of Christ's gift. This gift was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Calvin's point was exactly the point I made in the children's chat that grace is delved out sort of like puzzle pieces. And we don't really get the big picture until we put them together. This, this gift is meant to be brought together, to be developed, cultivated, to be mature. We're to share it with each other. And then Paul says, read the card, right? Read the card on the gift. And he says, this is the gift of Christ, And the Bible told us that when he came, he would bring captives in his train and he would give gifts to us, to his people. And this is, it's kind of a weird illusion that Paul makes here. He's, there's, you go back to, I think it's Psalm 86. Somebody can check me on that if they want to. Um, But it's talking about uh, Mount Sinai at this point, the place where Moses got the Ten Commandments. And God led his people, out, the, his captives, out of Egypt and to the mountain where he revealed himself to them, where he 
sort of promised again to them that he would be present for them. And this is what Paul is evoking when he talks about this gift of Christ, that it's from God. It's from Christ himself. It's his effort expended on our behalf that we can share in his grace. So we're to open the gift and we're to put it to use. We're to take it out of the box and put in the batteries and make it go. Use it for God's glory. So I'm going back to the, uh, to the push notifications again. Verse 11, uh, you, know, you see Paul, he says there that you know, God has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers uh, for, to his church. And, and so what, what is he saying? You have, you have a means by which you can receive push notifications to your heart, to your soul, to yourself. It's, it's by engaging in God's word, either here or on your own. Uh, you have the ability to download these messages, these truths, these things that will help us in this journey towards maturity. We're to set up the push notifications in our lives, those regular places in which God's word is infused into our hearts and souls. That's part of my job, right? To be a source, a source of those push notifications, to bring you together and say, here's the word of God. Here's how it applies. Here's how it comes to life. But it's also our job collectively to take God's word in our everyday lives and bring it to bear on what we say and do. We're to set up the push notifications and actively serve others, Paul says. Maturity comes this way. We engage God's word and we stretch ourselves. And when it hurts, we go back to the word and we find healing, we find grace, we find forgiveness, and we apply that to those places that, are, that, that were painful. But we actively serve others in the church and in the world. Verse 12. And then we strengthen our stance in Christ. So, I think much of Christianity in our culture got off track in the last century. And, and we thought that Christian maturity went like this. You go to church, you go to Sunday school, you study hard, and you mature. And meanwhile, our entire culture goes driving off the deep end, right? Until we wake up now and we look at stuff that's going on and we're just scratching our heads and going, how in the world did we miss this? How can there be such a great disconnect between Christianity and the rest of our society? What's going on? And God says that maturity comes through engaging in the word and then exposing ourselves to each other, to the wounds, to the confusion, to all of it, 
to society, to being engaged, not withdrawn. And I think that's really probably the better way to explain the mistake of the church in the past century was a, a, a stance of withdrawal where we're just going gonna to circle the wagons and defend ourselves as opposed to wagons be damned, let's go fulfill this mission together. Let's do this. Let's go and expose ourselves. Let's push towards those things that are holy, right, and good. That is where we strengthen our stance in Christ. Through trial, our faith is deepened. Through risk, through exposure, through pain. And in those times, Christ is present. And his word is more real. Um, To that end... I'm going to be starting a, a sermon series. Uh, not, we'll, we'll find out at the leadership team meeting today whether we're going to start it a week from today or two weeks from today. But uh, this is a book that one of our elders came across at uh, our General Assembly this past summer. It's by a guy named Mark Middleberg. And uh, it's the questions Christians hope no one will ask. All right? And there are ten highly uncomfortable questions that this author delves into. Um, Chapter 6, why is abortion such a line in the sand for Christians? Why can't I be left alone to make my own choice for my own body? All right, and this book highlights this divide that I was just talking about, And, and our collective inability as the church to speak to our culture to be relevant and present in the midst of all the confusion out there. And so that's just one of the questions, but there's there's 10 pretty good ones in here, and we're going to just move through them one week at a time and take these things on uh, through the the Word of God. But our hope is that this, this push will bring us through the discomfort to better, deeper maturity in Christ more rootedness in his word, more unity in his body. So the push is toward unity and maturity and love. This is where Paul sort of brings this strand of thought together. That all that we do as a church should be aimed toward Christ, towards his love, towards the love of Christ. He is, in fact, the union of truth and love. He is the living truth, the living word of God. And he is the active love of God, all in the same person. And all that we do should have that aim in view. We are to, uh, do you catch verse 15, I believe it is, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So there's the into side of Paul's exhortation right there. We are to grow toward the love of Christ Everything is aimed there. We're to grow more comfortable in the truth 
the truth about ourselves and, and the truth about Christ. And we're to grow more consistent in love. It, it works kind of like this. If he can love me, if he can forgive me, if he can get past everything I bring to the table, then I can love you. I can forgive you. I can get past everything you bring to the table. And as we do that, as we learn to love well and persistently, we grow. And so we're to be more comfortable in the truth and to grow more consistent in love. The truth is not always helpful, right? You get that. Do you have to be a married man to understand this? Don't look at you. Honey, do these jeans make me look fat? No. You look wonderful. Which is true, but we've successfully avoided the question, right? There's truth and there's love. And they are to be brought together in the way we relate to each other. And they are brought together in Christ. And so as we push toward his love, as we direct everything toward the love of Christ, so we are to derive everything from Christ. Um, you see the, there's a little switch between verse 15 and verse 16. Verse 15 ends with into Christ. And verse 16 begins with, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's the to and the from. We are to be a people who work in harmony with God's will. Working together for one purpose gets us all on the same page and it gets us over our differences and it gets us closer to the heart of Christ and God's will in, in reaching this world. We're to work in harmony with his will and we're to work constructively in his love. And I want to leave you with this challenge. It is so easy to get ruffled by each other, to be disappointed by someone else in the church or in your family or wherever, and to be critical or sarcastic or just plain rude or unforgiving or unkind. And our calling is right here, to, to love well. Which, which means, as to go back to an earlier verse, we bear with each other. We forgive. We give grace. We work constructively instead of destructively. And, and I, want, I want to leave that in your hands with this question. What is God calling me to 
construct, to build up in love in my life right now? What is that? Because it's, it's probably the opposite of what has you most peeved right now, right? But there's a calling that we all share to get past this ugly self and to grow and mature into who Christ is and what he calls us to. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for that holy push that you bring to our souls. The ways in which you call us and change us and love us and forgive us. Lord, that um, your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That our lives would be rendered unto you. And that we would be your vessels to show unity and love to the world. Lord, grow us. Use us. For your glory. For the sake of your kingdom. In your son's name we pray. Amen.